you know, who do they want to work with? What what brings people the most joy? What's the most profitable type of business? What do they like working on best or the team like working on best? It depends on the size of the company. It could be a one person, it could be a two person company, or it could be a smaller company. You know, the, it's it's good to get everybody involved in, in, in that process. Even if it's a bigger company, there's generally you know, a board of directors and, and, and maybe um, department heads on, under that. And it's good to get everybody's buy-in and everybody's opinions. Um, because if you just talk to the owners, it's a very sort of narrow um, perspective that you get. Welcome to the Business Ownership Podcast, brought to you by Awareness Strategies, helping you navigate the waters between entrepreneurship and ownership. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedlock, and I'm super glad that you're here with us today because I am here with my most amazing guest, Tracy. Tracy, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's lovely to talk to you and your audience. Awesome. So give us a highlight of who you are and a quick introduction to your business. Okay, so um, Tracy Burnett, obviously. I'm based uh, in the UK, but most of my clients are uh, in the US. Um, been doing this for oh forever it seems I've had my own business for 32 years um, before that I, I've always been in marketing started off in Unile- at Unilever um, yeah I've been living in Spain for seven years and come back to uh, cold rainy foggy dark miserable England but of course I've got my family which puts <laughs> a little bright shiny shine around the cloud um yeah and my business uh obviously I've been going 32 years so it's sort of you know it's evolved as, as time's gone on I came online about I don't know 16 years ago something like that and started specializing in LinkedIn about six years ago because it worked for me got fed up with Facebook decided to give LinkedIn another little go and uh, found it really frustrating. So did a couple of training courses, took the best of those, melded them with my own process and it really worked for me. So I thought, why aren't I offering this to my clients? And that's how it all started six years ago. Nice, I love it. So when, let's talk about your marketing career. What made you decide to go into marketing and think? Oh gosh, I wish I could say... <laughs> You know, I wish I could say I wanted to do that since I was a little girl. But actually, my when I was a little girl, I wanted to be an air hostess. And that's the days when it was actually a quite glamorous job, I think, because, you know, <laughs> given my age, uh, I never did that. I sort of fell into marketing, really. Um, there was nothing that I really th- that was passionate about that I thought I wanted to to do and yeah I just fell into it so dead boring really but you know really (laughs) enjoyed it (laughs) um you know working on you know with companies like Unilever obviously you get to work on very big brands I worked on you know the launch of you know one of the biggest brands um and staple sort of brands that I don't know whether you know of in the US like Pears Soap would you know what that is I do um I do because I'm Canadian so, ah, so we, okay. we do have a, a huge, um, well, uh, Brit expats and uh, immigrants. And so oftentimes our stores will have a UK section in them. Yeah, to... yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so it was really yeah. exciting to work with sort of, you know, a big company, work on big brands and see how it all worked from 
you know, that side of it. I've worked in TV. I've worked in financial services for a big bank. And that's quite interesting because you get that whole global aspect and to, you know, be the marketing hub for, it was a bank called Barclays, Barclays Worldwide. Wow. So, you know, quite interesting work, really. Um, and then I was director of a consultancy. Again, um, we were in uh, Europe, um, America and the Far East. So, again, very exciting. Um, worked on loads of different things. Um, there was a number of different companies within the uh, within the business. And so got to work on things like packaging for the Heinz brand and British Airways and major branding pro projects. So, and, and then I started out on my own because the company had expanded too quickly and went bust. And there I was thinking, okay, what now? Um, and so be before we tease off into your business, just want to did you find that there was any difference between branding for the big brands and branding for small brands other than you were designing, you know, airplanes <laughs> wraps and things like that yeah, that you yeah. obviously wouldn't do for a smaller company? But yeah, obviously when you're doing branding for a company like Heinz, you know, yeah. because they're so big and people recognize the name, even if I showed you part of the Z, you'd probably yeah. recognize it as the Heinz brand. And so you have to really take care of of that that brand property and so you're making little tweaks where when you're working with smaller companies you know certainly as I do now it's it's a whole different sort of ball game um because they're not going out you know haven't got multi-million pound budgets and going out to the, the wide world you know they just want to be known within their you know their little niche you can change um, the Z and nobody will notice <laughs> exactly exactly so you know it, yeah, and, and and of course, it's just totally different working with those sorts of companies that, than it is, you know, working with small businesses. Small businesses, you get to know the person and the whole the person and their personality and their likes and dislikes can all be sort of melded into the brand. Where obviously it's not that that, that kind of thing. Airways or Heinz or Unilever. Awesome. Exactly. So <laughs> So now when you're working with clients, you're mostly focused on the LinkedIn aspect of things, or are you still helping them with their branding, their messaging? And Yeah, I do. I mean, I'm not, because of my background, um, if somebody comes to me uh, and says, as they did a few months back, I've got 35 staff, I'd like more trained on LinkedIn. I, I say, that's lovely. I can definitely do that. But first, <laughs> let's look at, you know, you know, you know, your brand, your brand values, what your, you know, in this case, there was, it was a partnership. So, you know, what your vision is as a, as a, as your purposes as a business, what your uh, vision is, what your mission is, what your value proposition is, what your marketing message should be. And then from there, obviously, you can more easily position them. Um, the client I'm specifically thinking about, when I did a competitive review, everybody was pretty much the same. You could take one, you know, you wouldn't be able to take one letter off of their branding and sort of know who they were. Uh, you wouldn't even be able to tell any difference between their posts come to that. Um, so there was, you know, there's a real opportunity in that sort of situation to, to elevate them um, above everybody else. And then your job on LinkedIn or any you know, you can take that work anywhere. That sort of, you know, that stage one work, if you like. You can take the, the the company can take that anywhere and apply that to all of their marketing. 
you know, whether that be, you know, just their, uh, you know, their website or any social media. So, uh, you know, that's, that is quite a valuable piece of work, but it certainly makes marketing your business on LinkedIn a lot easier as well. You know, uh, and for any business, you know, if you're focused on a particular audience and you've got a specific proposition that's different from other other companies, um, then you're going to stand out. Yes, you will attract the right sort of clients, but you will repel. You know, you will, will repel clients as well <laughs> the because right they recognise <laughs> themselves. Which you know, as long as you're cool with that. I mean, some people do get a bit sort of fidgety in their chair. Um, funny enough, I had a client this afternoon and we were we were talking about audience and he wanted to add in two audiences, you know, people that were employed and people that were entrepreneurs and had their own business. And, you know, I, I do see people squirming a little bit, but, you know, at the end of the day, they either buy into that or not. And if they don't, I, what generally happens, I'm thinking of another client of mine who um, she didn't want to niche down. Um too much so she just did what she was comfortable with which if they're comfortable I'm comfortable but you know after a few months then she gets the confidence to niche down even more and then she sees her results increase so it sounds counterintuitive a little bit to sort of be repelling certain types of you know potential clients but in actual fact it's easier to sell to the ones that remain oh dear and um, also, sorry about that, I'll send it off. Um, and also, it, it's more enjoyable experience for you because if you're using your skills and experience and working with people that you love on you know, the type of work that you love, it makes your life much more enjoyable. So there's so many benefits to it, really. Absolutely. And I think the smaller businesses have a hard time with that i mean the nikes and of the world it's really a marketing decision it's it's very impersonal it's very it's not emotional it's not who we are and who we're bringing out into the world whereas i think with entrepreneurs it's that's my baby <laughs> it's not even who i am it's my baby and i you, you can't be messing with that so they they really do have an emotional uh anguish trying to figure out who this is and um, and of course, not wanting to repel an audience, um, thinking that they're going to lose money off of that. Yeah, but the, you know, I always liking it. I don't know whether you've ever done any rock climbing. You're standing at the top and you're about to sort of, you know, if you call it be laid down, I, never, I haven't done rock climbing for years. But it's that moment when you're standing at the top and you're, one part of you is saying, I'm going to die if I throw myself off the edge. And the other part of you saying, don't be so ridiculous because, you know, you've got all your safety harness on and it's going to be a real thrill on the way down. And it's a little bit like that when you're too sort of narrowing down your audience and thinking, oh, well, these those people that I can't work with or I won't be able to work with because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm repelling them in some way. But I always think it's a little bit like that. You know, you sort of it's partly excited and partly scared out of your wits. <laughs> and I, I love it. So when somebody is thinking about that, what kind of aspects of the of their of business or whatever are you looking at? If somebody say for us, because I know for the longest time we had the hardest time figuring out, you know, what is our niche? Because we could go with professional services, we could go with speakers, we can go. And to us, there's really not that much difference in their business. 
but they recognize themselves as being very different. So how do you start somebody to wrap their head around what's, where to start narrowing their niche in? Yeah, I mean, obviously as business owners, and I, you know, I include myself in this, that when I've done this exercise over the years, you know, I feel the same as all my clients and I find it very difficult to do for myself. So the beauty of working with people like you and I is we see it in a, you know, less emotional way and we can sort of see it at 360 degrees. So I tend to ask a lot of questions um you know initially and I, I want to know things like you know what they've done before in their previous life and what they enjoy doing and you know who their favorite client is and you know I mean lots and lots of questions about you know you know basically you know what their business has been made up of but also what their um previous life has been made you know made made, made up of made up, made up. <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> Um, been a long day, right? <laughs> um, yeah. So, so and, and things just sort of, you know, after a couple of brainstorming sessions, things just seem to sort of um, take shape. Um, you know, I'm seeing things. I'm sort of picking up things from day one, really, about oh, that that sounds really interesting. That sounds really different. And the the, the again, the beauty of working with an external person is that you. Know, that person's doing this work day in, day out, week in, week out. And so there's all that experience that they can draw on. So they know more what's unique and what isn't, and they can look at things in a much more sort of non-emotional way. Um, so, yeah, so that's how we start really just brainstorming. Um, and, I, I, you know, who do they want to work with? What what brings people the most joy? What's the most profitable type of business what do they like working on best or the team like working on best it depends on the size of the company it could be a one person it could be a two-person company or it could be a smaller company you know that it's it's good to get everybody involved in, in in that process even if it's a bigger company there's generally you know a board of directors and and, and maybe um department heads on under that and it's good to get everybody's buy-in and everybody's opinions um because if you just talk to the owners it's a very sort of narrow um perspective that you get so they're good to talk to when it's uh, about you know maybe obviously purpose because it's their business but you know the people in you know low, lower down the ranks if you like always have something really interesting to contribute and so do the the clients you know if you do client research that's very insightful. And also looking at the competition, as I mentioned before, you know, I can get a real picture of where the gaps are in, in the market. You know, what, what can they plug? What are they, you know, how plausible are they going to be, um, uh, you know, with certain offers? Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's really through questioning and brainstorming and just honing down. And it's very much, sort of a process it starts with you know the purpose and so how do we actually achieve that purpose what's their vision and then how are we going to achieve that vision so what's the mission um and then you know from all of that comes their usp their value proposition and then we can funnel that down into into a marketing message and and develop the target audience um so 
yeah, it's uh, it doesn't sound very scientific. Um, <laughs> there's definitely a process to it. There's definitely a process to it. So when you go into a company, do you tend to do a lot of upfront work in interviewing people before you get started? Is that kind of part and parcel with what you do or is that exceptional? It depends on, on the company, really. Um, and it, it just depends on the company, because if, for example, I'm working with an executive coach, I mean, who are their competitors? I mean, in theory, you know, all other executive coaches, I mean, you can narrow it down. But when a company, a bigger company is always comes up against certain uh, competitors in a pitch situation, then they pretty much know who their top five competitors are. So you know what we want to do is differentiate them so when they do come up in, in a pitch situation the potential client can see how they stand head and shoulders above everybody else um you know but, but if you're an executive coach then i probably would not do any competitive research i pretty much know the coaching market obviously not everything but you know i've got a pretty <laughs> good handle on it yeah. um and you know, I get to see loads of LinkedIn profiles and loads of newsfeed posts. And so what I'm trying to do there, certainly if it's a smaller business, is it, you know, each person that owns a business is unique. And therefore, if we take the essence of that person or the essences of that person, because there's lots of different strands, and develop their business around that, then unique by definition. So sometimes you know, I work on what I call the genius zone. So if you take my zone of genius, it's it's obviously marketing and LinkedIn, but my other, my passion is for food. I know, don't get you started on that subject, be here all night. Um, so, you know, I could in theory have those two zones of genius overlapping and that would make me, you know, pretty unique, certainly when I add on other peripheral bits underneath. So, you know, we talk about, zones of genius and how perhaps we can work with those um so it really depends on the client I you know I I don't work on a I do have a process and you know I work through I work through it in order but really each experience is unique to each particular client well absolutely and I mean it's uh you, you bring up a ton of good points in that if if a company is larger, there are a lot more decision makers in there and a lot more influencers in there. And one of the things that I've noticed is oftentimes in certain size companies, the, the LinkedIn uh, persona of the business, that persona doesn't actually go into their own LinkedIn. <laughs> so they're not the one that actually sees the post or interacts with anything. It's it really, they become a facade of their own company. <laughs> it's um, it, it's it, really exactly. the frontline people seeing it. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, in, in one respect, you know, if you've got a larger company, then you've got a, a, a bigger army to, you know, go out there and, and spread the message. So if you have got, you know, 40 people in the company and they all spend 15 minutes a day on LinkedIn, just think how, you know, how much time that is overall. So, you know, my job in that situation, once all the, you know, the foundational work is done is to plan out how I can, or they can use the army, you know, to better effect. Because a lot of companies just post something dead boring on their company page once a week and that's it. And then you get, 
the employees of the company that some do use LinkedIn, some don't, some go in and just like a few posts and go out again. And they just say sales director at Heinz or whatever on their tagline. And it's that they're useless profiles, really, um, because they'll never be found. Um, they're not using any keywords. They haven't filled out all the sections. So they're, you know, they, they won't show up in search results. I mean, there's so much there's a benefit there really for the employees to upgrade their LinkedIn profiles because not only are they helping the business that they're working with at that particular point, but they're actually also helping themselves because they will have a better profile. They will be more easily found by headhunters at some point in the future. So <laughs> and that's a conversation I always end up getting into is how do we make your employees entrepreneurs? But we won't go there. <laughs> but, uh, when when it comes to, say you have 30 employees that are all in LinkedIn, is it better to have a unified message going into that? Or is it better for them to personalize kind of their position within the company and, and make it unique from the other 29 people that are also posting? Yeah, so, so obviously there has to be some sort of company line. So for example, and again, it varies from company to company, but it is it is useful if you can have say your banner or everybody's banner is pretty much the same so that's sort of spreading the message visually then the next probably important element of a profile is is the tagline so if it's quite nice if you can if each person can have, can have their own specialist area so they're specialists in i don't know Whatever yeah. they do. So some might whatever be in they, the creative department, some so, might be in yeah. sales, whatever. Yeah. Exactly. So you slice up, um, you know, you might slice it by market. So they're specialists in one particular market, or if they're a global company, they specialize in the Far East or they specialize in a certain product or whatever it is. So mm -hmm. you can you, you know, you can within the tagline, you can you can be unique. But you can also, um, you've only got 220 characters, so you've got to be a little bit careful. But, you know, you can also, um, you know, have something personal in there as well. And then you get onto the the about section. Um, the about section can be more personal because it's, a, it's on a personal profile. And then the experience section, they will talk about the company and the role that they're in. So that's more company orientated. So it's really a melding of the of the of the two elements. And again, you have to be slightly uh, careful because obviously it's somebody's personal profile. It's not a company property. Right. Um, so there, you know, it can be a delicate balance, if you like, of using somebody's personal profile for their existing employer's marketing good. Right. Um, Interesting. Um, if you yep. have got a lot of people and they're all posting, then and everybody is um commenting on all of all of all of the different posts then obviously they're going to get much more traction so if you if you post and then your colleagues are i say immediately but you know within a couple of hours maybe commenting on your post that post is really going to get traction so the algorithm is is going to is going to think hey this is a really interesting mm -hmm. post and so we'll show it to more of this person's first connections and then it gets more traction and it shows it to their first connections and those and, and their and 
then there's then the second connections and so it starts to sort of widen it all out and then it's like a, a ball you know gathering moss so um it can you know that army can be actually very useful nice. yeah much more difficult if you're just a solopreneur for example well, yeah, because I would think that if you have those 30 people that you would want to coordinate those, if it's working to their advantage, I would have thought that Google would or uh, LinkedIn would have known that they were all part of the same company, if they're all registered as working in the same company in LinkedIn, um, that it would have been disadvantageous because it's like, oh, yeah, you guys are just admins on that account kind of thing. And yeah, don't care. I mean, I'm not saying it's absolutely perfect. I mean, it's certainly, <laughs> it, you know. Play what with is it. Don't make it too stagnant. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But, you know, if you say there are 40 people in the company and you've posted and 39 people have immediately commented, I mean, that's never going to be the case, but say it is, um, then it is going to be much better than you posting and having one comment on, right. on the post from somebody that doesn't work in your business. Um, it. You know, and, and when it comes to company pages, that's another ball game, totally different ball game, really. You know, mm. they don't they don't really feature um in the news feed very much so the traction on the company posts is a lot lower right so when somebody is posting is it better to focus on their past like clients that they have helped and things that are going on or to look forward to the ones that they're looking for or is it kind of a combination of both or is that just not even a consideration it's like yeah sure <laughs> yeah so, so so with the content um, it's always better to talk to the type of client you're wanting to attract. So, you know, if you know what their interests are, or, you know, you, you know, you say it's somebody that works in a, in a business and it's director level, you know, you can make certain assumptions about, you know, the sort of issues, challenges that they have within the business. Certainly if you, which you would, really understand the business that they're in then you can tell a lot you know or you can assume a lot um, about the audience that you're actually going for and so it's much easier to write you know whether it's an email whether it's a newsfeed post whether it's a website you know you would always talk to the person that you're trying to attract and then in terms of um uh the the content it's better to plan that so you know what are your content pillars going to be over the year what are you what are you talking about so mine for example would be I've got a three-step process so first of all I would talk about what I call the unshakable business foundation which is everything we've been talking about plus product and pricing and then the second bit is visibility and credibility that's all about obviously getting more visible and building your know like and trust factor specifically on linkedin and then the third bit is converting that interest into paying clients and then my fourth pillar is marketing because obviously i've got a many decades experience in marketing so so i have those those four content pillars and from that i know what my themes are so i i'm pretty much clear about you know my framework, if you like, for um, connecting. And then there's other decisions to make, like, you know, do you, you know, what format are you gonna use? So video obviously is a, is a better format, but some people don't like, don't like doing video. So then you start to talk about how you can, you know, you know what, what your actual day-to-day -day content looks like in terms of how often you, you uh, post. Um, 
you know what sorts of formats you're using whether you're going to have a newsletter whether or not you're going to do LinkedIn live or do debates on LinkedIn audio or whatever it is you know that depends on the company and the people that are actually writing the content and partly it depends on what sort of business it is um so then we're getting into the sort of the nitty nitty gritty and then if you keep stats on what's happening you'll be able to tell pretty you know let's say within three months where you're getting the you know the best bang for your buck on LinkedIn and you can start to do more of that I don't know whether that answers the question it's a bit of a big a big answer or a big question <laughs> exactly um, <laughs> yeah you're doing awesome so give us an example of a Cinderella story of one of your clients Cinderella story gosh uh, I don't know who to pick um there's uh one client uh let's pick her Tammy I don't know whether it's necessarily a Cinderella story but um yeah, she, she's a she's a coach a career coach um when I don't know how long we've been working together maybe three months uh, three years I mean um and now she's absolutely flying I mean she's she's employed other coaches not only has she applied other coaches she's got a team of people doing her content for her she pretty much is never on LinkedIn now because now she she briefs the team um she's got people doing sales for her so she's sort of jet setting around the world um well I think she'd probably call herself a digital nomad um she's just off to live for a while in Mexico uh, after being in Belize um, so uh, I think that's pretty not she wasn't rags to riches because she uh, you <laughs> yeah. know she's pretty maybe uh, just mayhem to order <laughs> yeah exactly and it's yeah. just you know it's just giving people that stepping stool up, up to the next level isn't it yeah you know nice. so yeah that, that you know that's that's pretty good I mean she was a superstar from the beginning really because one of the things I always cover off with clients is um is their low-hanging fruit you know where can they get clients right now and we went through a number of ideas she actually actioned them and she got ten thousand dollar sale out the gate so nice. that's always nice and you know it's it's pretty easy to do really um, but it's even easier if you've got somebody to guide you and it's even easier if you're an action taker and you're consistent. I mean, that's the number. There's one. that. That's the number one. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, that one that nobody likes to be. <laughs> I know. It sounds I know. great. I would love to be that, but. <laughs> yeah. And, and the yeah. thing is, you know, the, the, you know there, there are other people that pay you the money that you do your part and they don't do their part, you know, because they decide to take two months off or go on holiday every month or just can't be bothered or just lose interest and, you know, go off and do something else and come back to it. I mean, that's just not the way it works. You know, you need to be dedicated to building your business and putting in the time and putting in, in the effort, you know, right. and, you know, even if ultimately you do um, offload it to somebody else, I always believe that you need to have done that. You need to, you know, you need to have honed your process. Because as much as I can give you a process, you know, we all sort of wiggle into that and make it our own. You know, what works for us. And I think once you've done that, and you know, you can you can easily brief somebody else to do it for you if that's 
that's what you want to do. <laughs> I love it. So what are some of the, the struggles that somebody might be having listening to this? They're in their business and going, oh, Tracy, I need you so badly. Uh, a lot of the time people have tried LinkedIn and thought, oh, how, how difficult can this be? And they do it themselves. And then they think, you know, I'm not getting anything out of this. So they either say, okay, let's get some help with this. Or they just think LinkedIn is a useless platform and I'm going to go and use Instagram or whatever they say, or I'm going to go and get a job. <laughs> I'm going to fold my business or whatever it is. 40 employees. Uh, I'm going to go fold my business. You guys all go home. I'm done. LinkedIn doesn't yeah. work. <laughs> yeah. Or they, you know, they could be... Another sort of common scenario is, is that they're, they've been living off of referrals and recommendations, which is, which is great. But mm -hmm. as soon as you see a downturn, you're totally out of control because you haven't got anything in the pipeline. You have just, you, you've just assumed that work's going to come in. Mm -hmm. And so if you've got goals, how can you possibly reach your goals if, if you're relying on referrals, referrals and recommendations? So that, that's another scenario. And of course, everybody sort of hears, oh, LinkedIn's a really good platform for B2B and I've built my business on LinkedIn and all these sorts of stories. So people tend to get curious. But generally it's that they've, you know, they've just got, they've just got bigger goals and they don't know how to achieve them, really. I love it. So I know our listeners are going to want more from you. How did they start their journey with you? Uh, obviously, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, so that's uh, <laughs> Tracy Burnett. Um, I think it's linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Tracy Burnett. Or my website is tracyburnett.com. Um, there's a video on the homepage. You can listen to that. And there's a button on the left hand side of the video, which will take you to a quiz. Um, and to find out whether you're a LinkedIn ninja or a LinkedIn learner. Um, and you get loads of advice from me. Uh, depending on what your level is if you like me or linkedin lackey <laughs> maybe we need another one underneath that one yeah i think it's linkedin ninja linkedin star linkedin learner i can't remember what the other one is anyway yeah four, there's four levels basically figure out where we're at that's awesome i love it so uh, we will of course have all of tracy's notes in the show notes peep so just scroll down find tracy's links head over there right now if you'd like uh, and go and check it out. So Tracy, at what point in life did you know that you were a special kind of crazy enough to think that you could become an entrepreneur? Ah, oh, good, <laughs> good question. Um, as I said earlier, the business that I was working uh, for, the consultancy sort of almost went bust over, well, they did go bust overnight. There was a biker basically came to my apartment in London and gave me an envelope. Uh, and the car had to go back and the expenses weren't paid and all this sort of stuff. And at the, that point, I was dating this guy who had his own design consultancy. And he was very successful, had some interesting clients, um, had a lovely apartment in a nice part of London and drove around in a Porsche. And I just sort of thought, if he can do that, I can do that. And so off I went. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. So do you own a Porsche now? <laughs> I had a Lotus Elan actually within a nice. year of, of starting my business and then uh, it got stolen. Can you believe? How rude. I rude. know. That's awesome. That's I love it. You're fabulous. You've been awesome. <laughs> Any last words for our peeps? 
no, just, you know, take my advice and always stay in action and always be consistent and make sure you're doing the right thing first, of course. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. And I know how valuable it is. Absolute pleasure, Michelle. Thank you. Peeps, this is Michelle Nedelec. Thank you for being here with us today. Be sure to share it with your friends. Subscribe to the show because we love having entrepreneurs grow. Are you running a business over seven figures but still struggling with technology headaches? Pay attention. You do not want to miss this offer. This podcast episode is brought to you by Awareness Strategies, who is offering a custom-built digital adoption roadmap for anyone running a business over seven figures who's wanting to grow their business in the next five years. And it's not just a roadmap. They offer full implementation as well. If that scares the out of you, check out awarenessstrategies.com forward slash roadmap for more details today. The link's in the show's notes. Don't regret not doing this. Do it now. That's awarenessstrategies.com slash roadmap.